Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week, statins are causing controversy again. Having been shown to reduce cardiovascular risk in high-risk patients, where should the cutoff be? The Cochrane Collaboration have recently published a meta-analysis of studies which looked at primary prevention of cardiovascular risk. That suggested that even low-risk patients, i.e. everyone, might benefit from a statin. But an analysis this week on bmj.com says that the evidence of harm is being underplayed in those studies. But you won't reduce the overall mortality rate and you won't reduce the incidence of serious illness. So what you've done is treated people, you've swapped one heart attack for another serious illness in one out of 140 people, and you've exposed the entire population to an 18 to 20% risk of side effects for statins. But before that, Gareth Iacobucci, the BMJ's news reporter, has been in a conference in Birmingham where he's been looking at inspection of primary care. Last week, the National Association of Primary Care held their Best Practice 2013 annual conference in Birmingham, where doctors, practice managers, nurses and others gathered for a conference which talked about issues ranging from clinical practice to commissioning. One of the key speakers at the conference was Richard Vautry, who is the Deputy Chairman of the BMA's GP Committee. Um, Richard addressed the delegates with a presentation exploring uh, the workload currently facing GPs in the UK. I caught up with Richard after his presentation. Good morning. Um, you've just spoken to a group of GPs and practice managers about the pressures on general practice at the moment. Um, could you just distill sort of what the feeling is amongst the profession at the moment and what needs to be done, I suppose, to try and alleviate some of that pressure? I think there's a real concern amongst GPs, practice nurses, practice managers about the huge workload um, that they're having to cope with. The fact that they're going around the hamster wheel faster and faster simply to, stay, to, to, to maintain the income uh, for their practices and to maintain the level of quality that they want to provide to their patients. Um, and it's just becoming unsustainable for them. Um, and they fear that worse is yes, yet to come. Uh, and we really need to try and work with government to try and ensure that what was imposed last year um, yep. isn't sort of replicated sort of in future years sure and seven day working was something that was a big headline announcement at the Tory party conference recently how can GPs deliver this in you know what, what will they need to deliver this and is it possible to deliver it I suppose well we simply can't spread the existing resource um, both in uh, GP numbers practice nurses and available financial resource more thinly over from five days to seven days um, that would actually make the service worse not better uh, and equally we need to remember that GPs already provide 24-7 care. GPs working in hours and GPs working in out-of-hours organisations um, in an evening and at weekend. Uh, and so we already do that. What we do need to do is we need to invest in the daytime service so that we can have more GPs, more practice nurses and staff providing better quality services. But we also need investment in the out-of-hours services so that they can do more, so that we get more local GPs working in those services uh, to be able to provide uh, more holistic consultations in an evening um, as well as sort of in their practices during the day. Um, but we need to build on what's there, not to try and spread the current service more thinly. And just finally, there was a lot of talk this morning about the need to move resources and whether there is, in fact, a will from government to want to do this, to move resources from hospitals to GP practices, primary care. I mean, 
how big a battle will that be to sort of convince them that that's you know what you feel needs to be done this this is the number one issue um, until politicians until the government really uh, make this happen um, we won't be able to achieve the sort of the development of general practice that we know we can achieve um, currently general practice is surviving on 7.47 percent of nhs funding that's simply not sustainable we really do need to see politicians uh, willingly move resource from secondary care into general practice, into the community, so that we can have more GPs, we can have more practice nurses, and yes, more district nurses and community staff as well, because we need to build a community team around the general practice. We need to see consultants moving out of hospital and working alongside uh, their GP colleagues in the community. That's the way you develop a sustainable service in the future. Also appearing at the conference was Professor Steve Field, who has recently been appointed as the Chief Inspector of General Practice at the Care Quality Commission. I spoke to him about his new role, where he explained how inspections of GP practices would be carried out in the coming year. Um, Steve, could you first of all just sort of summarise what your new role is going to entail and then maybe talk a little bit about what your priorities are going to be um, in the in the new job? Well, thanks, Gareth. It's lovely to uh, talk to you in a, a very sunny Birmingham today. Um, it's a, I mean, a hugely exciting time. We're um, working with um, a great team uh, in CQC. We're going to be looking at quality in general practice, uh, general medical practice, general dental practice, um, children safeguarding in uh, the NHS, uh, quality of care in hospitals and in secure environments and also taking the lead for um, integrated care for CQC. So it's a very broad uh, role but I guess most people recently have been um, focusing on the general practice component. Yeah. And um, you talked a little bit in your speech just now at the conference about um, some focus on out of hours and, and some other areas that you'd be focusing on. Um, could you just explain a little bit about um, exactly you know what you're going to be doing in those areas well the, as far as general practice goes the, the core um, purpose of what we're doing is to make sure patients have a, a safe effective caring general practice provision in a practice which is responsive to their needs and well led so we'll be looking at different domains to, to what was looked at before but it, general practice shouldn't be seen in isolation, so it, it, it's part of a network which includes out of hours. So the emergency care, as we move forward over the next two or three years with Keith Willett's review, yeah. the landscape will change. But as you know, I, I did, I led with David Colin Tomei the ministerial review of out of hours a few years ago, and I want to make sure we've moved on from then, and that out of hours is uh, safe and uh, is. Um, meeting the needs both of the GPs who are working in hours and also most importantly of the, the patients. I think the other thing we'll look at after Christmas as a priority is also medication uh, and care homes because we know from the academic evidence that um, there are often problems with polypharmacy but also with the prescribing and the dispensing and the administration of drugs and um, and sometimes patients end up in hospital when they um, should really be being looked after in the care home as a result of medication errors and um, I, th I think that's an important area we'll look at pretty early on. Okay and you, 
Just finally, you talked about um, wanting to recruit sort of teams of people to carry out inspections of GP practices and that they would include GPs. What type of GPs are you looking for and what skills will they sort of need to bring to, the, to this to, um, to help it work? Well, well, I'm determined we'll have um, the best system for quality assurance of um, general practice in the world. So that's the aim. Um, we'll have a surveillance system, so we'll be looking at data so we can target visits um, uh, and make sure you know, practices are safe, effective, caring, responsive, well-led. Uh, but we'll also then visit on a two-year rolling basis all practices in England. And the visiting team will include a GP, um, a trained high-quality inspector, um, a nurse or a practice manager. Um, we want trainee GPs to be involved but also um, a patient, an expert by experience, who will also be trained. So we'll have a core team that will go in and spend the best part of a day in a surgery. And uh, we'll look at CCG areas as well, because what I'm really interested in is sampling, probably four times over a two-year period, samples of practices within a CCG, so that we can look at the more integrated or collaborative aspects. So what's the care like across South Birmingham for vulnerable elderly patients or what's the uh, out of hours and emergency care like in Nottingham you know um, things that might be raised by patients health watch particularly or by local GPs we all want to look at because I think we have a um, responsibility for spotlighting poor practice for highlighting great practice and of course we'll rate those practices as well but we need to look at the the economy the health economy where they're working sure Okay, thanks very much, Professor Seafield. That's my pleasure. For more from this conference, including extra details of the CQC's plans to inspect GP practices, visit the news section on bmj.com. Gareth Iacobucci reporting there. Now, is it time for Statins for All? Helen MacDonald, the BMJ's analysis editor, finds out why some think not. So we're now joined by John Abramson, family physician and lecturer at the Department of Healthcare Policy at Harvard, um, here to talk about who should and shouldn't get statins. And in a nutshell, John, you're fearful that in light of new research, guidelines might be broadened to ask doctors to prescribe to lower risk patients. Can you just tell us what's happened? Sure. And uh, I'm really fearful that not in light of new research, but new analysis of old research, the threshold for prescribing statins is going to get significantly lowered. And there's even talk about recommending statins for everybody over the age of 50. So what happened is the Cochrane Review changed its position very dramatically. In 2011, they looked at the, uh, the, the statin studies that existed at the time, and they concluded that there wasn't evidence that uh, statin therapy for people whose, cardiovascular, whose risk of a cardiovascular event was less than 20% over the next 10 years would benefit from taking a statin. And they said um, caution should be used in pre prescribing statins to that population because of lack of evidence. But in 2013, the Cochrane Review radically changed its position and said there's now evidence that statins are beneficial for people whose cardiovascular risk over the next 10 years is less than 10%, which is everybody. Um, and that caused us to uh, look at the data and mm. to write the article. So what, what's new? 
What's new is that the CTT uh, uh, collaboration um, published a meta-analysis of 27 statin trials, and they concluded that at whatever level of risk you are, statin therapy will reduce your uh, risk of mortality by 9.1% and your risk of cardiovascular events by 20% per millimole of LDL reduced by statins. And Cochrane picked that up and made the recommendation to lower the threshold for prescribing statins. So how did this new analysis, the new Cochrane review, um, what, what benefits and harms did it, did it see in low-risk people taking statins? So on the benefit side, Helen, the Cochrane Review said, if you treat 140 people, low to moderate risk people, for five years, you'll prevent one uh, cardiovascular event. Um, and that is a benefit they saw. And they said that that is not, that there's no counterbalancing risk of harm that they see in the clinical trials. So doctors should prescribe statins. But in fact, what we find when we look at the literature is that the reporting, the, the rates that are reported of adverse events in the statin trials, and remember, they're all commercially sponsored, are grossly underestimate the incidence of adverse events that occur in real people. So for example, um, in the statin trials, the incidence of muscle problems, myopathy, are uh, 0.5 per 1,000 people, or you have to treat 2,000 people to harm one person, to cause myopathy in one person. But in fact, if you look at the epidemiological data that's generated in the US, we do what's called a National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey periodically, and you query people about whether they're having muscle pain or not, you find out that the people who are taking statins are 50% more likely to say they're having muscle pain than people who are not taking statins. And the number needed to harm from that data is 19 people on statins. So if you, if you treat 19 people with statins, one is gonna develop a muscle problem instead of one out of 2,000 that comes from the clinical trials. You see a much higher incidence of diabetes in studies that look for diabetes than in the clinical trials that don't actively look for diabetes. And there are a myriad of other problems uh, that we don't know the frequency of, cognitive problems and sexual problems and um, emotional problems, liver, kidney problems. So Cochrane is relying on the industry-sponsored trials to generate information about side effects. But in fact, the risk of side effects is about 18 to 20%. Close to one out of five people who take a statin will have a side effect. So in a nutshell, in your article, you've um, produced a nice box about what what information doctors could share with patients um, about the risks and benefits of going on statins. Talk us through those. Yes. So for people who are not at high risk of a cardiovascular event in the next 10 years, less than 20% risk in the next 10 years, the CTT data, as we recalculated it, shows that there is not a reduction in the risk of dying when you take a statin. There's no mortality reduction. And there's no reduction in the risk of developing a serious illness. So you say, well, what, what's the big deal here? Why is there any push at all for statins? And the answer is that if you treat these um, low to moderate risk primary prevention patients with a statin, if you treat 140 of them for five years, you'll prevent one heart attack or stroke or cardiovascular death. 
but you won't reduce the overall mortality rate and you won't reduce the incidence of serious illness. So what you've done is treated people, you've swapped one heart attack for another serious illness in one out of 140 people, and you've exposed the entire population to an 18 to 20% risk of side effects for statins. So what we conclude and what we recommend doctors tell their patients is that for this low to moderate risk group of primary prevention patients, there's not an overall benefit, health benefit to using statins. There is a very real risk of harm. And the most important issue is that 80% of cardiovascular risk is a consequence of lifestyle habits like smoking and um, uh, not exercising and eating an unhealthy diet. So the, the real message that we'd like to leave doctors with is that almost all of the information that we have about the purported benefits of uh, lowering cholesterol with statins in low to moderate risk people comes from industry funded trials. And not only do we not have access to the primary data, but more importantly, those trials are conducted by industry to fulfill their fiduciary obligation to their shareholders. And they're looking for ways to increase statin use, not for ways to decrease heart disease and improve overall health. So these studies are not comparing the impact of what physicians can do to help their patients adopt healthy lifestyles compared to re relying, and we think falsely relying, on taking a statin to keep them healthy. Hmm. That's fairly, fairly strong stuff. Um, what do you think physicians should be talking about instead? Physicians, clearly, the, the primary risk for cardiovascular disease is uh, lack of physical fitness, uh, eating an unhealthy diet, and smoking. Uh, the, 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 everybody agrees with that. There has been a kind of street wisdom that doctors can't effectively help their patients make those changes. And we, as physicians, need to take responsibility for committing ourselves to advocating the optimal therapy. And the optimal therapy for people who do not have heart disease, and, and also for people who do have heart disease, is to modify their lifestyle in a healthy direction. That's the best way to prevent heart disease. Now, for people who already have heart disease, there is some benefit from taking a statin. And we believe that they sh the people for secondary prevention should be given a statin. And if they don't have side effects, they should stay on the statin. But even for those folks, we believe that it's imperative that doctors explain to them that the most important way to reduce their risk of having another cardiovascular event is to adopt healthy lifestyle changes. And that analysis is available on bmj.com this week. That's all for this podcast. We'll be back next week with more from the world of medicine. In the meantime, if you want to hear some more from the BMJ, or indeed if you want some more specialist information from sporty docs to ethicists, have a look at our new podcast page, podcasts.bmj.com.